to Straight From The Source, the podcast from the Association of Participating Service Users. We represent people impacted by alcohol and other drugs. I'm your host, Sam Schlicht, bringing you real-life stories straight from the source. Before we get into this month's episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. I pay my respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. These episodes are going to be a bit different for a while, just as everything else is different since the arrival of COVID-19. For one thing, I'll be calling people on the phone, which obviously will affect the sound quality, among other things. I apologize for that, but we're determined to push on and keep connecting with people in our community. That being said, we'll be experimenting with our usual format, bringing you shorter episodes, often with content that seems more relevant to the present. On that note, this is an interview with nutritionist Kate Borland. Kate shares her views on well-being and food, often in relation to her work in the AOD sector, but also to life in general and the version that we're living now. I'm pretty well obsessed with food already, but I learned plenty I didn't know and picked up a few practical tips as well. You'll hear at the end that Kate would welcome contact from our listeners, so be sure to get her details from the show notes if you want to find out more about her work. Hi Kate, thanks for making the time to talk to me. I wonder if you could start by telling us a bit about your work and how you got into it. Okay, so originally um, I started, well, I graduated from university with a Bachelor of Applied Science in Nutrition, and my dream was to do work that was more therapeutic in nature. So I'll, I'll never forget one of the last classes I did and one of the university lecturers asked the whole group, the whole class, what they they wanted to do with their nutrition degree. And I was pretty shocked that most people in that class were talking about jobs with Coca-Cola and Cadbury's and Nestle. And, and then he asked me, what do you hope to do? And I said, well, nutrition to me is about imparting information, educating people how they can actually feel better about their lives through the food they eat. So in the early years, I started off working through neighbourhood houses where I wrote and designed a program that was more around, one was for people on low income, so that had did not have access to, you know, lots of extra um, cash And so it was about cooking on a budget. And then another program I did for another neighbourhood house was for women, uh, refugee women. So once again, sort of basic cooking skills. But in in those groups, I I learned there was a lot of information I could actually learn rather than just standing there lecturing people about what they should be eating. I mean, nutrition is not just about what we eat and how we eat, there's actually a very holistic um, 
nature to it that I believe we need to tap into more. It's not just about culture. It's not just about community. It's not just about family. It's not just about, you know, the quality of the food and whether it is nutritious or healthy or so-called good for us. It's about us really taking charge of our own well-being and creating that into something that actually then has a spin-off effect about how we feel about living our lives. So from the neighbourhood house, I had small children at the time. I was a single mother and I thought maybe I'd be good at doing some counselling. So I thought I would look at doing some extra study on top of what I already had. And I made a call one day. I looked up what was in the area and there was an organisation that I knew from many years before that had a very good reputation around drug and alcohol um, services called Moreland Hall. It was formerly Moreland Hall, now called Uniting Regen. So I just rang, I rang there and I said, I looked up online that you have courses and I'd like to do some AOD alcohol and or drug counselling and then I got talking to one of the staff members who just happened to be called Kate and she said she we were talking about what my qualifications were and what I'd been doing and she said we've actually just got um, some funding from the government to create a pilot program around uh, alcohol and recovery and nutrition is one of those components that we want to include in 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 that program. And would you mind if I gave your number to the person at the time that was the boss? And I said, oh, that would be great. I would love it. And the rest really is history. I went in for an interview and they didn't have a clue what they wanted to include, what would be relevant um, nutrition-wise, and that was about 12 years ago now. And from that pilot program, which is called Catalyst, uh, it then had developed into two other Dayhab programs, one called Talk and one that's in the southeast called Southeast Catalyst. And they are programs that basically a day, six-week day programs, and I get to do four nutrition sessions in the six-week program with people in recovery. So, what do you go in and and do on a on an average day? Look, it's it's very, um, uh, you know, I, I try and run my, I call them nutrition workshops, and I try and make them very fluid. So. I do work in a youth unit and also in an adult detox unit through the same organisation. And for instance, when I'm in the youth unit, I will go in there, I'll have done the shopping, I'll have asked what they would like to to cook and I'll I'll buy those, those ingredients and I go in and I don't do a talk. Whereas with the um, Dayhab programs, it's a lot more structured. I try to run it that I arrive I provide recipes to the group. I will do a talk first. So we might start off with sitting down around a table. I'll do things like 
talk about um, nutrients and diets and some of the, the, the things they would have heard about, like the components of food, like antioxidants, things they might have read about, you know, apple cider vinegar is a good example. Why are we? Why is it recommended that we have apple cider vinegar every day? And, and why is it recommended? Sorry, I'm curious. I've got it in my cupboard, but I don't often take it out. Well, hopefully you do. You sh- every day is great to have because it actually our stomach is what's called an acidic environment. We have gastric juices that actually start the process to help. Um, with the absorption and the breakdown of food. And when our stomach becomes too acidic, what happens is that then can go on to create all sorts of other um, spin-off effects, physical uh, health spin-off effects. For instance, arthritis, um, you know, which is an over-acidic environment in our stomach. And people look at things like something like apple cider vinegar We think of vinegar as being acidic, but in actual fact, apple cider vinegar has enzymes. There's there's a few different sorts of apple cider vinegar you can buy. We look for the one that says with the mother. With the mother has the active enzymes that actually create um, an alkaline state in our stomach. So rather than it being it creating and manifesting more acidity, it actually reverses and neutralizes that process and we want our stomach even though we need the acids to be the gastric acids to to break down the food and start those processes we don't want it to be over acidic so we're going to end out with the other side things which is the arthritis and um, you know, there's a number of things with an acidic system. Heartburn, which is very common with people in recovery, um, which is something that happens when your liver's not working properly. And usually if we go to a doctor, we're, we're prescribed or we're given terminology of things, let's call them labels, of things that might have happened, like, oh, I have... GERD, for instance, which is or GERD, which is G-E-R-D, gastroesophical reflux disease, and that's very, very common for people with um, with alcohol or with a history of alcohol or drug use. And you will be given a medication, you know, there's the, or you know um, the antacid drinks, and that that is doing what apple cider vinegar. If we look at the root cause of why these things are happening and treat the cause, the underlying cause, rather than using the Band-Aid effects that most doctors um, use nowadays because they haven't got the nutrition understanding. They haven't got those same skills or that same knowledge that can actually steer people in a different direction. Yeah. So really, yeah. So that's why apple cider vinegar, that's something that I can then recommend to people because it doesn't cost a lot of money either and we know that if we're on low incomes things like vitamins and 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 you know health food shops um you know some of the fashionable food now like quinoa i mean i always love to expose people to those things but i explain to them and i give them other alternatives as well but you know apple cider vinegar 
neutralizing the stomach acid and it's also very good as a tonic for your liver and it's got you know there's other things it's very good for as well but you know it's something simple that people can say oh yes I can I can do that that can be a goal because I like all my nutrition sessions to to for people to be thinking about what they're doing and to be able to make positive changes in their life yeah, sure. That sort of leads me on to wonder what other kind of particular advice or challenges are there that are kind of relevant to the to the alcohol and other drugs and, and rehab space? Um, well, you know, the reason I love my work so much is because I like people to look at nutrition as being possible and the human body as being possible. And what I've found over so many years is we are looking for band-aid solutions to our mental health, to our diet, to our physicality, to our drug or alcohol use. And a lot of the time we use food as a dietary measure. Alcohol and drugs, you know, a lot of people that have been using alcohol and drugs for a number of years start in their teenage years when our brain isn't fully developed and therefore a lot of people also use them as a dietary measure and when I say a dietary measure I mean it interferes with our appetite. So if we have poor or low self-esteem or um, you know a very common one is body dysmorphia or if we're using food as a way uh, as a means of control. So if we're not happy about ourselves and we look in the mirror and we look in the mirror and we don't see who the real person is, we can then start to um, restrict our, our eating or restrict our diet. And a lot of people, this really resonates when I'm doing especially the talks in the detox units, about how you actually look and view yourself and how you end out in a situation where you deny yourself nutrients and you end out in a situation where you're looking at food as the enemy and it actually becomes, you know, something that you don't grapple with that, you know, the, the cause which is your low self-esteem and all the reasons, all the things that drugs and alcohol fulfill in our life for a certain amount of time until we wake up and they become unmanageable. And so simple tips I look at for people is simply, you know, if it's with alcohol, making sure you put something in your stomach in the morning because we know psychologically if we have an empty stomach, then we're far more likely as the day goes on to drink because we will, our relationship with alcohol is that of, empty stomach so therefore we get the effect quicker and then as we drink as the day goes on we then or if we come home from work you know a lot of people have been working during the day and they come home and the first thing they do is drink and then by the stage it's time for them to go to bed they might realize oh I didn't eat today so they will eat the quickest um, most viable option which might be to go and buy takeaway food which we know takeaway food has no real nutritional benefit whatsoever. And so we're eating the wrong sorts of food. We're choosing an easy option for the sake of eating something 
rather than taking the time to realise, oh, no, actually, I could put something together myself and I'll, uh, you know, I'll I'll tell you just something really easy for people that I say is really important. If you can't be bothered cooking, eggs. Eggs are are incredible nutritional sources of so much that is good and they are easy to cook. They don't take long. They are a budget food. And the thing is with eggs, they also are very good for our mental health. So they help with depression. And the connection between the food we eat and our moods is now starting to be more recognised and researched and understood by anyone that actually is going through low low periods in their life. And in the detox or in my groups when I talk to people, when you start talking to them about what they've been eating and and how they're in a situation which is they don't have the energy to actually cook or prepare food for themselves. And so therefore they are, you know, relying on a fast food diet and they know themselves that those that that diet is not contributing to their mental health. They are exhausted about even thinking about how they can change it. So I say little things if I go through a day. For breakfast, whole oats porridge. You can buy black and label or, or no name, no brand, whole oats. You can use a cup of oats, two cups of water soaked the night before It'll take you a couple of minutes to cook in the morning. You can buy frozen blueberries, which are, you know, $4 or under $4 at Aldi a packet. Half a cup of blueberries or some chopped banana in with those oats. Serve it with some milk, some fresh milk or soya milk and honey or even some raw sugar or brown sugar. That's a beautiful breakfast to start your day. Then you can have something simple for lunch like a salad sandwich. Then for dinner you can have eggs, you know, boiled eggs, poached eggs with a tin of baked beans, putting in some spinach into the tin of baked beans, some fresh garlic to give it some flavour. It doesn't have to be complicated to be eating well when you haven't got the energy energy to actually create this meal that you've seen on MasterChef. So it's really about encouraging people to be simple about their nutrition and not to think it's got to be something that's going to be, you know, hard to create. Yeah, sure. So you're sort of teaching practical incremental improvements instead of unrealistic ideals. Yeah. You know, I feel very blessed because when I'm doing the talks in my classes, we also actually get to do the cooking as well. So people get exposed to a lot of food that they might not have had before, they might not have tried. And, you know, a favourite that I love taking into to work is Brussels sprouts. And a lot of us, what, what we also forget is a lot of us have memories of our childhood with food. I'm very interested in that psychological connection because if we've had a negative um, a negative upbringing around the food we eat, and that, that could mean we're forced to eat certain foods, 
Um, I've I've met people over the years. I actually met someone once that was chained, used to get chained to the chair at the kitchen table, and this was an, an older, a lot older sort of gentleman, and he was not allowed to leave the table until he'd eaten his vegetables. So we've also got that psychological um, effect, the, the the everlasting effect of food from our childhood when we haven't had a, a good, positive, healthy experience with it. So therefore, and, you know, and there's also certain people I've met, I've met a lot of people that actually food's not a priority. They don't think that nutrition is something that's going to affect their daily life. They could take it or leave it. So getting to cook with people and introduce them to different foods is is a really incredible experience for me because in all the years, 12 years in the drug and alcohol sector, I think I've only once met someone that didn't want to eat the meal. And I've worked with a lot of people and so it's about saying to people, yes, you don't have to necessarily eat that but you're far likely to try food in a group and feel comfortable and safe around food. So I love creating that safety net where where people aren't ashamed to say, oh, but what is that? Or, or I don't like that. And I say, you know, I don't force you to eat anything, but I do want to expose you to different foods because that means that it's easier. And, you know... Staples, let's talk about staples. Frozen vegetables, a lot of people think, oh, it's frozen. And the problem with nutrition is because it's ever-changing, each year there's a different, a, a new dietary guideline or a new government recommendation. So people will often say to me, oh, but how many eggs can I actually eat? Two eggs a day, seven days a week, not a problem. Yet, you know, that obviously changes. And so, you know, the consumer, as human beings, we're getting all these different mixed messages. My recommendations are always having things like having frozen vegetables. Now, people think frozen vegetables haven't got the same nutrition. You can buy a bag, a 500-gram or a a kilo bag of mixed vegetables, carrot, peas and corn. You can use those, a couple of cups if you're on your own, stirred through some cooked rice or just thawed in under cold water, stirred through cooked rice. It's like having fried rice, but you're not even having to fry it in a saucepan. Some fresh garlic, You've got rice, you've got vegetables, and then you can grill a little bit of meat on the side if you like meat. There's all these things that make it so it's easy for us to be able to have access to the food. We don't necessarily have to go and shop every day because we've got the frozen blueberries, we've got the frozen packets of vegetables. We can then, you know, go and if we want to buy fresh, we can buy just one zucchini, just one carrot. Nobody's going to be looking at you that you're only going to be buying one each of everything. And then you can create meals from that. So, yeah, it's really about it not being us thinking we've got to make white sauces and, and you know, and pastas with cheese all the time. And, you know, it, it needs to be just sort of cheap and fast. 
It can be, you know, just taking a little bit more effort and thinking how, you know, how easy it is rather than how complicated it is. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great advice. I have to imagine as well that people who are taking those classes that you're all getting more from the experience than just the the knowledge and the skills that you're sharing. I mean, like I find cooking very social, a bit like driving. You sometimes find that you open up a bit when you're concentrating on something like that. Well, look, it's it's therapeutic, a hundred percent. And uh, you know, eight years ago when I started working in the youth unit, the boss at the time said to me, "You're on trial." Well, eight years later, I'm still on trial because it's very hard to work with young people. A lot of the time, they don't want to participate. But I have had the most incredible, life changing. Um, stories told to me during that stage where I'm on one side of the counter and they're on the other and they're sharing something with me that they've possibly never, ever shared before because we know also through research when you're concentrating on something else, it's far easier for conversation to flow. So it's not like you're sitting there talking to a counsellor. It's more about you're concentrating on something else and you feel safe and it's easier for that conversation to just happen. But also, a lot of the time my work is not about about nutrition per se. It's about community and the experience that we really are truly all in this together. I'm not there. I, I've had so many people say to me, how come I didn't learn this in school? How come I'm 40 and I'm only just learning from you what I should have learned 25, 30 years ago? And that's the beauty in nutrition and learning how to look after yourself. It is never too late to learn skills that are going to better your life in the long term. And we have moved so much further away from that now that we have placed importance on it because we're we're so much more of a fast-paced world. We're, it's so much more about convenience. And, yes, so I feel like I take away every time. It's like exercise, and exercise is a major ingredient in recovery as well. But every time I leave work, the same as every time I've finished doing some exercise, I never walk away from there saying, I wish I hadn't gone. I wish I hadn't exercised. I wish I hadn't eaten well. The effect it has on our mental health, we talk about, you know, the, the most one of the most important buzzwords around our mental health is serotonin. Now, most people don't actually even know that 94%, I think, of serotonin is created in your stomach, and so therefore it's the one. It's the it's the good good happy mood, um, uh, new response to sort of you know well being, and hormo- or hormonal response, and yet most people think it's created in our brain, whereas it's actually created in our stomach. And this is where research is now telling us. Good food is good mood. So if we're only putting things into our body, takeaway food, deep fried food, 
which deep fried food is the worst thing you can have for your liver. And most people that usually are on any sort of pharmaceutical medication or any drugs or alcohol, and especially long-term, have problems with their liver. And so therefore, if they're not putting in good, simple nutrition, things like three pieces of fruit a day, four serves of vegetables, high-fibre foods, lean meat, eggs, a little bit of dairy... Um, that's for people that aren't vegetarian or vegan. If you're not having those things, then you're not actually producing uh, the serotonin, creating the serotonin that creates those pathways that opens up the possibilities for your mood being actually enhanced. Wow, yeah. And and then that's to say nothing of the experience of maybe cooking and eating together if, if you're able to do that. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and I know more so than ever, and, you know, when I was at uni, one of my research projects was for, we used to have elderly citizens groups. And a lot of the feedback I got through my surveys was from elder people that had gone from, well, one we call empty nests, so families and then the children leave, and then there's the two parents. And then we can end out one of the parents dies or when we're living on our own, that food then becomes a chore because all of a sudden you're not, you, it's not the community of food anymore. Oh, I can't be bothered cooking because it's just for myself or the loneliness and grief around being solo and having that, that food arrangement, that community can also take really, yes, a massive toll on people as well. That's why I love programs where people are getting out into community kitchens or people are inviting neighbours in to share a meal at least once a week because we forget about people that, yes, and isolation and being on your own, it does take a lot more energy to actually just even get to the process of wanting to cook and eat. And that's why I say to people, if it's if it's time you've got on your hand, a really important thing might be to go to the shop to buy smaller amounts and so you're at least going out and engaging in a community. I know everyone by their name at my supermarkets, at my greengrocers, at the butchers. They all know what I do. They all love what I do. I know their lives. I talk to them. They're my, they're my community because that's how I have chosen to live my life, not indoors isolated. I want to be part of a community and most people on their own, that's what I really try and encourage throughout this whole process. But getting out and, and you know, and walking, re, re-grounding yourself and it's like if we're a gardener, we take our hands and we put them back into the earth, you ground yourself back as one with nature and Mother Earth. And that's what I really want to encourage people to do through my own work because it, it breaks my heart to see people isolating and not feeling worthy of having that communication with other people in their lives. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's it's strange to discuss this now because obviously we're all in the in the COVID nineteen lockdown mode. But actually, everything that you're talking about are not only things that people can still do at the moment. Hopefully, they're becoming more and more important in the situation. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I mean, that's why we're, we are allowed to still shop. And, you know, and you'll notice, I mean, when I'm working, I sometimes have to shop three times a day for myself and my children, for my work, and then maybe for work the next day. And, you know, and I've had to now adopt a different strategy around my work, even though I'm still going into the the detox units, but my day programs have ceased. And, you know, it's given me an opportunity to really think about, because often if I'm actually, I practice what I preach. So often if I'm working, I come home and the last thing I want to do, I've just created this incredible restaurant quality meal which is simple in itself because it's never things like, it's never a big extravaganza or like might be a bit of grilled fish and some roast Brussels sprouts and then an avocado and mango salsa, all things that are in, in season, obviously. And people are saying, wow, this is absolutely gorgeous. And then the last thing I want to do is cook for myself. So how I've got around that is, my son has started cooking a lot more now and taking responsibility and even my daughter. And even though we love all eating together, yesterday I came home and I wasn't feeling, I didn't have a lot of energy and actually my be- my dinner got delivered to me in bed by my son who had cooked it because I just wanted to sit down and relax because it does take you know, we all need to take time to realise we need rest. And that's why I say I'll often just make a salad. It doesn't have to be even something I've cooked. In this COVID period, I've actually done things like I'm buying bunches of basil. I've got time to wash them. I put them in a sealed plastic container and I know they're ready for the next night. There's so many little things we can do to make it easier that when we are not feeling like we've got a lot of energy, that we can just throw something together that has got a lot of nutrition. And so for me, I know it's easy because not only for my training, but because I've been doing this for a lot of years. But that's why I really urge people, you know, to just, you know, to to make little a little bit of an effort to take different steps in a different direction. And, you know, the exponential growth is incredible about how you will feel about yourself. Getting back in touch in this period of time with how we really feel and getting back to that whole Band-Aid, we usually layer ourselves with layer upon layer upon layer. And we could talk about a cake in that way where there's just layers of of um, cake and then cream and then chocolate and all these layers that are basically weighing us down about how we really feel and getting in touch again with how we feel. And when we retrain ourselves around positive things like positive foods, positive experiences with food, it becomes so much easier because it becomes... We've swapped negative patterns, negative routines, negative habits in our life towards positive ones and then it's easier to build upon those positive ones. So the layer upon layer is not the layer of cream that's going to weigh you down because you will eventually, if we're eating in that way where we're only putting a lot of, um, you know, uh, takeaway food or a lot of cakes or a lot of chocolate, a lot of biscuits, 
those things eventually will put on weight. And then when we put on the weight, we stop feeling good about how we are physically because we stop feeling like we want to exercise. And so we have to start at the beginning again and peel back those layers. And that's where nutrition really comes down to it for me. It's not, it's not, you know, it, it can be difficult talking to people about their self-esteem and how they really feel about themselves. But to me, I find that if we start talking about that, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Food is a comfort, but we want to make food more so than a comfort. If it needs to be a comfort, you know, one day a week, we look at sort of reigning in that behaviour so it's not just a comfort of layer upon layer. It's better to actually go ahead with the feeling of what is under underneath those layers of what got us there in the first place. Yeah, great. Well, you've just given a a really great primer on how people can begin to start doing that. It's, it's got me thinking about all kinds of things. I'm I'm guessing that you're sort of missing some of the face to face aspects of of your work at the moment. How how's that looking just now? Well, it's made me very, very conscious of my own mental health, I suppose, and how I had to rearrange my life because my work, I feel very blessed. My work is a lot of the reason why I can feel good about my life because I have purpose through my work. I go to work. Not only am I going to be, you know, rewarded through that by being able to put a roof over my head and my children's head and also be able to go and shop for for beautiful food and eat well but it also gives me purpose about me feeling good about what I actually do about making a difference in other human beings lives by being able to be more than just someone that lectures them about what they can do, how they can move to the next stage, how I can guide them through that process. Now, because that then all stopped suddenly and I'm still having face-to-face contact, it's made me realise just how important my role is in my work about how I then can relate to my own life and how that then relates to other people. And so it's all changed, but it's actually been a blessing, not only for me realising how important my work is, but how important the information I've got to share with people about how their life can then become, you know, full of more purpose for themselves. Because well-being is the underlying root, I believe, of why we are alive. And if we separate it as in well and then being, we're all being, but how well are we being? And well-being is not just about the food we eat. It is about, you know, the, the community we create. It's about family. It's about self-love. And so it's about starting back at that point, which for the first time really in about 20 years, I've had time with not juggling work and 
um, juggling all these other things, my single parenting role, having to race and leave my own kids. I'm really starting to think about, oh, yes, my well-being I had created, which was my routine, going to work, exercise and eating well, but there is something a lot more important and that is other people and other people and being able to have those relationships and those important, you know, um, those important meeting meeting places and meeting spaces. And so I really do urge everybody to get out there. There's neighbourhood houses, and I mean when COVID is over, and we know now we're going to have a, a change in how life goes. But for anyone that is feeling alone and isolated, neighbourhood houses are a great place to go and do courses, um, any other extra counselling or AOD programs. As I say, I work in the um, in the day hab programs. But getting out there and creating that community and, you know, re, you know, getting back in touch with people. So times, yes, have changed. It's just made me realise how important how important, you know, it is to feel connected to something, to feel grounded and re-rooted into this world in its ever-changing, ever-changing face. So not hanging on to anything, just being able to be in the moment and how important it is to be in the moment and how important it is to really be open to whatever the possibility is that's going to change next. Does that is that answering yeah, you? Yeah, I think that's definitely a message for the moment and that'll be a really a great note to to end on as well. Just thanks so much for your time and and your advice. Great, Sam. And can you also put a link maybe to the Facebook page if people want to be able to ask questions or anything i will absolutely yeah i'll put that in the notes to the podcast that's great sam all right thanks a lot kate there's 24 7 help available for individuals affected by alcohol and other drugs at direct line on 1-800-888-236 and for their loved ones at Family Drug Help on 1300 660 Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe or leave us a review. And do get in touch either by emailing apsu at shark.org.au, that's shark with a C, or tweeting at apsu online. We're always looking for new guests as well as issues and perspectives that we haven't covered. The Association of Participating Service Users, or APSU, is a service of the Self-Help Addiction Resource Centre, or SHARC. APSU is a Victorian consumer body that believes the voices of people with lived experience of alcohol and other drugs should be heard and incorporated into service design and delivery. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of APSU or SHARC, we just believe that they should be heard. Names and identifying details may have been changed for privacy reasons. The music you heard is by DBH. There's plenty more of it at dbhguitar.bandcamp.com. And there'll be more from us once a month.